20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What's happening, Packer fans? Welcome in to an all-new Wednesday edition of the Pack-A-Day Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. You can follow the podcast at Pack-A-Day Podcast. It still is hitting me every single day. It was like when the Bucks traded for Dame Lillard, and it took me like a few weeks to be like, man, Bucks traded for Dame Lillard. I, I'm right there right now with the Packers. I'm like, man, Packers are 6-6. Six and six. They're the number seven seed in the playoffs. It's just like out of nowhere, like a Randy Orton RKO for those of you in the know. But it is so fun. This is like, these are the best seasons. This, I, I guarantee if they finish this out, man, even like, even if they just get in the playoffs, like three or two, four and one the rest of the year, especially if it's five and oh, like this will go down as one of those all time great seasons that came out of nowhere. For me still, it's, I, I know it ended horribly, but that NFC championship game uh, that far through the pick to Corey Webster, ending sucked, right? A brutal ending. But that team was expected to be nowhere near NFC Championship contending caliber that year. And you didn't go in with this, like through all the the Favre years that you had all these expectations of this is going to be a Super Bowl level team. You didn't have that with that team. And to all of a sudden out of nowhere, play 13 and three football through the course of the year and then make a run in the playoffs and go to the NFC Championship game and be this close to a Super Bowl. Like I said, the ending of it sucked, but that entire journey was so amazing. Still one of the seasons I look back most fondly on for just my pure enjoyment of it. And this is a very similar experience right now where you have this team that, man, two and five, three and six, you're just kind of hoping they get through the season with some signs of progress, just something that you can grasp onto and say, all right, this could maybe work long-term. And now six and six, seventh seed in the playoffs, five winnable games ahead of them, and really an opportunity to be kind of one of those plucky playoff teams that nobody really wants to play. Like I said, totally out of nowhere. This is really, really fun right now. And because of that, I have a ton that I want to discuss today. So we'll get into it. A couple housekeeping items first. One of my favorite things that we do as a podcast every single year is a month of giving in December. And we just donated through the Packaday podcast over $1,000 in donations in total to the following charities yesterday. Coalition for the Homeless, The Nest, Folds of Honor, Wounded Warrior Project, World Central Kitchen, Doctors Without Borders, Performing Arts Matter, Toys for Tots, and Make-A-Wish. Just wanted to shout that out because like I said, it's one of my favorite things that we do as a podcast. Shout out to the entire team uh, for being part of that journey. And you know, just really quick, if you have the means to do so and you can uh, do some donating this holiday season, highly recommend it. Like I said, it's one of my favorite things that we do. And I uh, just wanted to put that out there really quick because uh, it's deserving. And if we do have the means or if you have the means to, to donate it to, and any of those would be great donations, but there's plenty of other opportunities out there. So just a a nudge, hopefully, uh, to be able to do that during this holiday season because I think it's one of the really great things that people can do during this time of year. All right, other thing really quick, Packaday Podcast memberships. If you have not checked them out yet, make sure to do so. Shout out to our newest Packaday member, Daniel K. Appreciate you joining. A lot of awesome you know, perks and opportunities out there through the memberships. You can get different emojis and badges and things like that. You can also uh, you know, get episodes, a, a members only episode every single week, members only Q&A, first access to every single video that goes out. Some of those get up way ahead of time and you get, again, way early access to it. 
um, the wall of fame. There's so many things out there. So if you have yet to check out the Packaday podcast memberships, make sure to do so. And uh, we've gotten really great feedback on them so far. So check those out over on the Packaday podcast YouTube channel. All right, Packers housekeeping items. Devondre Campbell nominated for Walter Payton Man of the Year. Always a cool honor. Every team gets to nominate one player. And this year it is Devondre Campbell for the Packers. And then we had some transactions that took place as well. First, let's do the practice squad ones first. Green Bay signed Kenyon Drake to the practice squad and in the process released James Robinson. Robinson got a little bit of uh, you know a go in this past game, had a handful of snaps, a couple carries, didn't do too much with him. One of them was that little handoff inside on the third down uh, right before the end of the half, and it just went nowhere, not of any fault of James Robinson's whatsoever. But I think Robinson just in general just lacking a little bit of juice. Doesn't really give you much that you don't have on the roster already. And in comes Kenyon Drake in his stead. Now, Drake has not worked out this season. Like he's been a part of a couple different teams. Most recently, or like he was on the Ravens where he actually got playing time. He got a total of one carry for zero yards, two catches for 31 yards. It's one of the things you really like about Drake is he's very good catching the ball out of the backfield. In fact, at one point, I think it was Miami, um, you know, really looked at him, or maybe it was Arizona. One of the teams like really looked at him even more as like just basically like a out of the backfield and almost like a wide receiver type option at times. So great hands, great catching out of the backfield. Last year with the Ravens, 109 catches, 482 yards, 4.4 yard average, four touchdowns, 17 catches, 89 yards in a touchdown. Last year, he had a 53.1 PFF grade in uh, 365 snaps. And then this year on those 12 snaps that he had this year, not much to go off of, but a 44.4 PFF grade. I know some people were immediately reading into this of like, oh, they're bringing in Kenyon Drake. Like maybe this isn't good for Aaron Jones. Like, oh, is he going to be out longer? I wouldn't read anything into Aaron Jones status based off of a back end of the practice squad transaction. This is churning one player for another at the exact same position. They had James Robinson on the roster. Now he's gone. And now in comes Kenyon Drake. They're both veteran running backs. And I think Drake gives you a little bit more juice. And I think he gives you much better receiving out of the backfield. And is, I think, quite frankly, just the better player. But we're still going to have to wait and see what happens at that running back position. If Jones comes back, they have Jones, Dylan, and Patrick Taylor. And that leaves Ellis Merriweather along with Kenyon Drake on the practice squad. If Jones is unable to go this week, then I would expect that we see A.J. Dillon, Patrick Taylor, and Kenyon Drake but don't like this isn't going to be something where all of a sudden Kenyon Drake comes and is getting the bulk of the carries or anything like that. This is still going to be AJ Dillon running back one, Patrick Taylor running back two, with maybe a few snaps here or there for Kenyon Drake, just like it was for James Robinson this past week. And same like it was Emmanuel Wilson before that. Don't expect anything major. And like I said, don't have, don't expect there to be any tell off of this. Now, maybe something's going on with Aaron Jones, but I, I doubt it. I don't think anything's probably changed. And certainly you can't read anything into a back of the practice squad transaction is to say like, oh no, is something wrong with Aaron Jones? I, I just don't see it that way. So we'll see what ultimately happens, but I like the pickup for Green Bay. I think sometimes when you get some of these players that were former third round picks that uh, have, you know, so, sort of some college football cachet, some Madden cachet, like you, you know the name. It gets maybe a little bit overdone. I think that happened with James Robinson a little bit where people were like, oh my goodness, they got James Robinson. I really like this signing. James just doesn't have anything left. He had the Achilles injury and he, there's just no more juice. There's no more burst there. And Kenyon Drake, it's not injury related, but 
He's been a journeyman running back. That's who he is at this point. Now, Green Bay and specifically Brian Gutekinds has had some success. Like a Rizul Douglas is a great example of that, of finding some guys like that that have come in and, and been successful. Maybe that's the case. Maybe that happens here. But I would just caution against getting your hopes too high of like, Kenyon Drake's going to come in and make this major impact. In all likelihood, he probably gets activated as the number three running back, handful of carries until Aaron Jones comes back, hopefully sooner rather than later. And then Drake just stays in the practice squad as a depth piece in case they need someone. That's how I see it. But I still, I like the move. I think it's a good pickup. And I do think he's an improvement over what James Robinson was bringing to the table. A cool quote from Kenyon Drake, quote, this was to Jacina Anderson when she talked to him after signing with Green Bay. And again, this is Kenyon Drake, quote, I could feel the energy around the building today. It was legendary. And you could feel the legacy and bright future they have. I'm excited to get back to work to help that to help them take that next step towards the ultimate goal. Again, this is one of those like pinch yourself of like a veteran running back who's been around the league is coming into this youngest team in the NFL saying, I could feel the energy around the building. It was legendary and you could feel the legacy and bright future they have. Like that is impressive that you have this veteran coming in and there is a tangible feel for this six and six Packers team, youngest team in football, that something special is bubbling here. Green Bay, job not done. Five games, they have to go out and play their best football so that they can go get in the playoffs and see what happens from there. But that is a cool statement from a veteran on his first day on the job in Green Bay and hopefully a sign of just exactly the vibes that are going on with this team right now. Meanwhile, they did add one player to the active roster as well. This was reported yesterday, but official today per the Packers. They claimed David Long Jr. off of waivers, played for both the Raiders and the Panthers this year. 65.7 grade on 190 snaps per PFF. Did play with Joe Barry when Joe Barry was there as a defensive assistant with the Rams. So there is some synergy there. Um, I think he's a good corner. Like he, uh, This is another former third round pick where again, Goody's had some success with these type of corners and specifically with Rizul Douglas. They found Keyshawn Nixon as a guy. Like They found some corners that have not had great success throughout the league. You, you can go back to Chandon Sullivan. Like We can go on and on and, and bringing them in and having success in Green Bay. I think it's interesting. And he does have special teams experience as well, which is probably where he has to start off. But if you look at it, Green Bay's added four corners to their 53-man roster over the past six weeks. Now, Part of that is due to Jair's injuries, Eric Stokes going on IR, as well as trading, you know, Rizul away. But in the past six weeks, they signed Corey Ballantyne from the practice squad to the active roster. They added Robert Rochelle off the Panthers practice squad. They added Caillou Blue Kelly off of waivers from Seattle, and then David Long off waivers from the Panthers. So four corners added to the 53-man roster. They now have seven corners on the active roster. Those, in the four that I just mentioned, and then Jair, Valentine, and Nixon. So seven total. Now, I just mentioned, I wouldn't glean too much out of a practice squad running back and what that means for Aaron Jones. This is a bit more interesting when you add a seventh corner to the active roster. Does that mean Eric Stokes maybe is not coming back or they don't feel comfortable with him when he does come back? Like he's going to have to kind of get his foot, you know, footing underneath him. Or does this mean something with Jair? Interesting story on Jair. Jair seemed like he was trending to play last week, and he said he was going to speak with the media on Friday, and then did not speak with the media on Friday, and then was kind of a surprise inactive on, on uh, Sunday Night Football. 
I'm not saying there's been no reporting. I certainly am not reporting in any way, shape, or form that anything's going on with Jair. But when it looked like he was trending to play, was going to talk with the media on Friday, didn't talk with the media on Friday, was a surprise inactive on Sunday, and then they add a seventh corner to the active roster on Tuesday. Just saying, if there is going to be something that you're a little bit more concerned about at this point, I would put more concern into the Jair Stokes side of things than I would on the Aaron Jones side of things based on these transactions. In all likelihood, it probably means nothing. Probably means that they liked David Long, that he had some experience in this style of defense, and they think that he is a net positive for the roster overall. Fingers crossed, that's all that it is, and it's not in conjunction with any sort of injury on the roster. Same thing on the running back side. They like Kenyon Drake more than James Robinson, so they swapped him out, and that's the move that they made. Fingers crossed, that's all it is. I'm, I think that's all it is, but if you're going to be, if you want to be uh, nervous about one of the two, the corner one's a little bit more intriguing to me, especially when you pair it with, you know, kind of the surprise Jair news from Sunday Night Football last week. All right, before we get to grades and film study this week, I wanted to also go over, which is probably the main topic of today's uh, episode as well, the 2022 Rodgers versus the 2023 Jordan Love debate. And I know I brought this up on Twitter. It's been something I've been thinking about actually for the past couple weeks, that it seemed very much that it was trending in the direction that Jordan was going to be outplaying Aaron from a season ago. And I'll put the same caveats out there that I did on the tweet that I sent out. Aaron was injured last year. He had the injured thumb. He had the injured ribs. That clearly played a part in some of Aaron's issues from a season ago. No two ways about it. The difference in talent on the team one way or the other, whatever way you want to say. Maybe last year you are arguing is more talented or less talented. This team is more talented or less talented. It doesn't matter, but either way, they're not the same teams. It's not apples to apples. You can't just easily compare one player to one player. There's a ton of variables that are involved in that. I can also make the strong argument that Aaron Rodgers in every other season, you know, starting season of his career might go on. Those All of those seasons might be better than any season that Jordan Love has in his career. It's well within the realm of possibility. And the last thing I'll say is I'm not trying to compare Hall of Famer greatest are arguably one of the greatest of all times, Mount Rushmore quarterback, Aaron Rodgers to current Jordan Love. Of course, some people wanted to misconstrue it and say, why are we comparing Jordan Love to Aaron Rodgers? He was one of the greatest. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that he has to be that level of Aaron Rodgers, but I do think if you go back to 2022, Aaron and 2023, Jordan, I very much think Jordan is playing better and I'm not sure it's particularly close. And more specifically, what I wanted you know to kind of compare here, and this was really sort of a, a topic that I mentioned going back to, to training camp and some of the conversation of like, well, how is Green Bay possibly going to be you know better or even close to what they were a season ago when they were eight and nine when they're moving on from Aaron Rodgers and going to a first time starting quarterback? And my point then is my exact same point now that Aaron in 2022 just wasn't that good. This is not so much a commentary on like, oh my goodness, Jordan Love is insane. He's astounding. He's the the greatest of all, like nothing like that. It's more of just a reminder that Aaron just didn't play well in 2022. And again, put the caveats in there all you want of the injured ribs, the thumb, all of it. It's all true. It's all real. But just his season as a whole, it was kind of meh. And Aaron's right. Aaron's a million percent right. His down years, which last year was, 
are still better than almost every other quarterback's best years. He's a thousand percent right. And last year, still even a meh season for him was still a pretty darn good season comparatively in the NFL. So much so that the Jets wanted to give up all the stuff to go and get him and give him the huge contract and everything like that. But for comparison's sake, 2022 Rodgers, 70, and this is Aaron on the whole for the entire season. And obviously we don't have a full sample size for Jordan quite yet. Aaron had a 77.5 PFF grade, a 0.20 Andy grade. So my grade plus 0.20 for the year, just barely above breaking even. Uh, 350 out of 452, 64.6% completion percentage, 3,695 yards, 26 touchdowns, a 4.8% touchdown percentage to 12 interceptions, a 2.2% interception percentage, 91.1 quarterback rating, 41.3 QBR, took 32 sacks for a 5.6% sack percentage, 5.95 ANY over A adjusted net yards per attempt, 34 carries, 94 yards, a touchdown and eight fumbles. That was Aaron season in, in totality of 2022. Jordan Love so far in 2023, 78.5 PFF grade, one more than what Rodgers was on the season last year, plus 8.55 grade for me, not even close, plus 8.55 PFF grade for Jordan, plus 0.2 grade last year for Aaron. So Jordan is well ahead in my grading scale this year than where Jor- or than when Aaron was a season ago. Uh, 250 completions, 408 attempts. So they're really only 44 more attempts for Rodgers last year than where Love is at right now. 61.3% completion percentage, 2,866 yards, 22 touchdowns, a 5.4% touchdown percentage higher than Rodgers, 10 interceptions, a 2.5 interception percentage, just slightly more than Aaron's 2.2%, 90.2 rating. Again, Aaron was at 91.1, a 58.4 QBR, Aaron was at 41.3. He's taken 24 sacks, a 5.6% sack percentage, exact same sack percentage as Aaron a season ago. 6.19 adjusted net yards per attempt, better than Aaron's last year. 39 carries, 231 yards, more than double Aaron's. Two touchdowns, six fumbles. So those are the stats. And I'll just leave it at that. I'm not trying to make this some big thing that it like, again, Jordan can stand on his own two feet and we can just evaluate Jordan for being Jordan. Um, But I just legitimately believe that Jordan's playing better. If you had to give me a quarterback right now to win one game and you said you can have 2022 Aaron or 2023 Jordan, I'm taking 2023 Jordan. And that's meant to not like degrade Rodgers or anything like that. Like I said, every other season for Aaron is might go down as being a better Jordan season than any season Jordan ever has. It's well within the realm of possibility. So I'm just saying that one season where Aaron was not quite himself, partially due to injuries, I just don't think it like that season was as good as what we're seeing from Jordan Love right now. So not meant to be disparaging to Aaron, definitely meant to be complimentary towards Jordan. And I was very interested to see when I tweeted it out there of saying like this exact thing, 2023 Jordan better than 2022 Aaron, how the responses were going to be. A couple people upset per usual, but it was overwhelmingly a pot. Like, like some people are even like, yeah, obviously, like it's very clear and obvious and you're not saying anything that we don't already know. And again, there were some people that were upset, but overall it was overwhelmingly positive. It was like, yeah, like everyone seemed to agree for the most part. So for whatever that's worth, you can obviously sound off in the comments and make your voice heard as well. But like I said, if I had to start one right now, 2022 Rogers or 2023 Love, give me 2023 Love. Aaron Rodgers, by the way, spoke on Jordan Love on Tuesday. 
and this is going to definitely sound like me talking out of both sides of my mouth because Aaron Rodgers said, hey, can we just let Jordan be Jordan? We don't need to crown him. We don't need to bury him. We don't need to do anything in between. And he, he was saying it as like a broader like, hey, when, when a quarterback plays well, we don't need to all of a sudden say they're the greatest thing in the world. And when they're not playing well, we don't need to immediately bury them. And he gave the great example of Geno Smith, of how Geno you know, played poorly and everyone like said he didn't deserve a chance anymore. And he got a chance again, and he's been really freaking good in Seattle. So we, we all want to jump to these immediate conclusions. And how I'm saying I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth is I'm just comparing him to one of the greatest of all times. But again, my point being there is that I'm talking more about Aaron's struggles in 2022 and the Packers overall struggles in 2022 more than I'm trying to say, look at how amazing and great Jordan is. Although I do think he's having a really nice year and performing nicely, but I've said the same thing over the course of the past couple of weeks. And I'm agreeing a million percent with Aaron. And I said, you know, kind of too, if, if all of a sudden Jordan over the next three weeks struggles or just has like, okay games, Everyone's going to be like, oh, maybe he's not, maybe he's not that good. Like maybe they do need to start looking at a quarterback in the draft. Like it's all going to change. And my point being is like, let's just see how this plays out still. I think it's trending in a massively impressive direction and you have all the reason in the world to be excited. He looks like the guy, he looks like a franchise quarterback, but the great thing is Green Bay can't make a decision right now. That contract decision will come in the off season. So let's give him the rest of the year. And let's see what it looks like. I have a feeling it's going to look really good. I have a feeling he's going to continue what he started and he's only going to get better from here. But it's not always linear. We've talked about it a million times this year that progress isn't always linear. Sometimes you've got to go and you've got to learn some things. And at some point, I promise you, at some point, this is what happens in the NFL to every quarterback. It happened to Mahomes, happened to Rodgers, happened to Manning. Not sure it ever really happened to Brady, if I'm being honest, but it happens to almost everyone. Um, some defensive coordinator will figure something out. They're going to figure out a kryptonite or something that just gives Jordan a ton of problems. And then it's going to be up to Jordan and Matt to solve it. And I, I have wholehearted faith that they will. I really believe that they will. But sometimes I can take a little bit of time and sometimes it can look very ugly in, you know, for a few weeks, sometimes it's longer than that until they kind of figure that out. And Jordan is like, all right, they're, they're going to do this over and over until I get it fixed. And then you have to overcome it. So at some point that probably is going to happen. And there might be a stretch where it looks kind of ugly, but I have a feeling no matter what they throw at him at some point, he's going to overcome it. So a lot of positives there. I think it's all trending in the right direction, but Aaron's right. Like, let's try not to crown anyone. Let's not try to drag anyone down. Let's let the season play out and enjoy it while it's happening right now, because it is a ton of fun, especially the way that Jordan's playing, this team is playing, and it's all trending in the right direction. And let's just keep that momentum going moving forward. Hey friends, I'm sure you're all familiar with some of the hassles of finding game tickets at a reasonable price without all the headaches that go along with it. I've been on a bit of a roll lately as I went through one ticketing service that never sent me the tickets and I had to panically try to get a hold of somebody the day of the game. I had another service that didn't allow me to transfer tickets. So when I could no longer go to the Wisconsin Iowa game, transferring the tickets was extremely difficult. It was just all so frustrating. That was until I found game time. Game time is so easy to use with a low price guarantee, event cancellation protection, easy to find tickets, and an even easier to use app. GameTime is the fastest growing ticket app in the country for a reason. You can buy tickets in a matter of seconds and they are sent directly to your phone so you never have to dig through emails and have those same panicky moments that I did the day of a game. So next time you're buying tickets, make sure you snag them using GameTime, stress-free. 
Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code PACKADAY for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code PACKADAY for $20 off. Oh, and GameTime is also a great way to buy tickets for a holiday gift. Just make sure to use code PACKADAY. Download GameTime today, last-minute tickets, lowest prices, guaranteed. Hey there. I'm sure you've heard a ton about daily fantasy sports, but I'm here to tell you that you've never experienced anything quite like prize picks. With basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 combo of three points made plus receptions. Even more fun yet? Do you want to play alongside some of Prize Picks' favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz? You can now find community plays under the Promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the Prize Picks community each week. I've had so much fun making Prize Picks a part of my daily fantasy sports routine. They cover all of my favorite sports, have a ton of variety and different options to choose from, and the player choices are immense. I even had a fun J.K. Scott selection the other day for the Chargers game. I recently had a big win on Saturday morning in a London game, and it just made the viewing experience so much more enjoyable. It's fun, it's exciting, it's easy, and there's a level of creativity and uniqueness about it that I really, really enjoy. So go to prizepicks.com slash packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash packaday using code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. All right, let's get to grades and film study. Top three offensive players this week, Jordan Love plus 2.85, number one on my list. The identical score that he had a week ago not planned, not anything. It just all of a sudden you get to the end. It was a plus 2.85, was putting it in, looked at last week's. Last week's was a plus 2.85, two huge weeks for Jordan. I don't think I'm saying anything controversial. Don't think I'm saying anything that doesn't pass the eye test. Multiple wow throws. I I really love the throw downfield to Romeo Dobbs given situation. Uh, I broke it down online. If you want to check it out over on Twitter, I, I, I think he saw that Dobbs was covered by a linebacker and that he had the safety out leveraged. Now, Mike Edwards on the other side did a great job of coming off of the other receiver and looping back and making that a little bit more contested than I think maybe it was going to be. But I think Jordan read it right. He put it in a spot where Dobbs could get it. He put enough air under it so that Dobbs had time to adjust to it and kind of locate the ball and make the catch. And then credit Romeo for going up and making a great play. But then you've also got the touchdown throw in the back of the end zone to Christian Watson. The other touchdown to Watson where... He steps up in the pocket, pauses, eyes back downfield. It's a if if you haven't seen the end zone throw of it yet, it is so fun. I put it out there on Twitter as well, so you can check that out. He throws the ball, it buzzes over the linebacker's head, and you pause it right there. You pause it from the end zone view, right over the linebacker's head, and you can see a huge chunk of the end zone. And Christian is nowhere to be found. He's throwing this. It looks like he's throwing a dart through the goalposts. He's throwing it right down the middle and then you unpause it and Christian just comes flying across and catches it in stride. And it's this really beautiful aesthetic, but man, the stuff that Jordan was doing, commanded the offense, cadence, seeing what the defense was doing, checking out of plays, getting his players in the right positions to be successful. Just all of it. Just beautiful, beautiful football, A plus stuff all day long from Jordan Love. No real turnover worthy plays. Uh, You've got a couple throw, you've got the one throw, he was feeling it. He forced to, to Christian over the middle, had a receiver to his right that he, he should have gone that direction instead. Kind of put it in a spot where I think Christian still maybe could have gotten it, but 
kind of put it in harm's way a little bit. There's a defender underneath. There's a defender over the top. If things go a little bit awry, maybe could have ended up in a pick, but that was his most egregious. There's the one where Christian's coming across, throws it kind of behind him. Very much looked like Jordan was expecting Christian to stop on that play. Other than that, I mean, those were, were nitpicking at that point. He dominated that game. He outperformed Patrick Mahomes on Sunday Night Football in front of a national audience and got a win against that Chiefs team. Awesome, un- unbelievable stuff from Jordan and a plus 2.85 grade to go along with it. Number two, unsurprisingly, Christian Watson. Sucks about the injury. Hopefully he's okay and can come back sooner than rather than later. Opens up this offense in so many different ways. Not only just what he does as a receiver, but sometimes even just as a decoy. But when you have this Christian Watson making these type of plays, the back of the end zone touchdown catch, the other touchdown catch, a couple other plays that just like you're, you start to see the game slow down a little bit more for Christian and he's just not trying to do too much and credit Matt too for I think putting a game plan together that utilizes Christian's strengths to the best of his abilities and you're starting to see this offense just unlock. It's like every single one of these players was a key to this offense and now all their keys are being inserted in the right lock and it's just unlocking at all the same times and it's been beautiful and hopefully Christian can come back and be a key piece of that again, because I'm not saying that Christian season's been perfect. I'm not saying he didn't go through some ups and downs and, and certainly some downs in the middle of the year there. I'm not saying his injuries haven't been an issue. They clearly have, but when he's on, Green Bay just doesn't have a dynamic explosive playmaker that can do the things that Christian does quite at the level that he does. And just the height, weight, speed, size, athleticism, all of it, just a special dude and they need him for the rest of this stretch, the remainder of this year. So again, hopefully he can come back sooner rather than later, but plus 1.35 grade, awesome, awesome game for Christian Watson. And number three, happy to talk about this one. I talked about this with Aaron Nagler on Let's Talk Football over on Cheesehead TV over on Monday. We spoke about Josh Myers. I think Zach Cruz posted out there too that I think he's the sixth rated center for PFF over the course of the last four weeks. Obviously, I don't grade every other center, so I can't say but I do have a positive grade on Josh Myers over the past four weeks combined, mostly due to a plus 1.00 grade, third highest grade this week for any Packers offensive, for any Packers player for that matter. And just a really impressive week. Now, one of the plays that I posted, actually the throw to uh, Romeo on fourth and one, Myers just gets roasted by uh, Chris Jones, just completely roasted immediately. But Love is able to complete the pass anyway. And you're going against Chris Jones. Chris Jones beat Zach Tom. He beat John Runyon Jr. He beat Sean Ryan. He beat Josh Myers. He beat everyone. All the, like he's just he's insane. He's so freaking good. You're not going to hold one play where you get beat by Chris Jones against Josh Myers all that much. Still a negative play, no question about it. But the rest of his day, really great stuff. And this was an attacking Josh Myers. This is the most that I saw him go and hunt. Like it wasn't. Like, there's a. He, he plays a little bit too passive at times for my taste, especially for an offensive lineman. I, I like those offensive linemen that have a little bit of nasty and that, and that go hunting. They want to find somebody to hit. They want to go and they want to be the ones that are bringing the pain. Saw that more from Josh Myers in this game than I've ever seen before. Just going to find work, being a little bit more physical, being a little bit more intimidating, getting after it a little bit more. If that's the way Josh Myers plays from here on out, would be a massive, massive step for this Packers team. He was really, really good in this game, really fun to watch, and easily my favorite Josh Myers game 
that I can ever remember over the course of the past few weeks or few seasons, excuse me. So fun game from Josh Myers. And as much as I'm going to you know, drag him at times when he's not playing well, he deserves a ton of credit for the way he played against the Chiefs. And I'm sure human element, I'm sure he's heard for years, could have had Creed Humphrey, could have had Creed Humphrey. The Packers could have had Creed Humphrey. We've heard it over and over and over. He outplayed Creed Humphrey in that game. And I'm not saying it's going to trend that way long-term that Myers can all of a sudden go and be better than Creed Humphrey now. But in that game, it's Kansas City at home. Myers went one-on-one, not specifically with Creed Humphrey, but played uh, center in the same game as him and and Myers came out on top. So kudos to him for that. Bottom three offensive players, Jaden Reed, negative 0.45. Big false start penalty which stalled the drive. That was his biggest negative. And then just didn't come up with many big plays, struggled to get off coverage through a good portion of the game. Nothing to worry about. A negative 0.45 grade in large part due to a penalty and just a bunch of like stuff that was mostly minor after that. That's fine. It's not a big deal. There was no real egregious grades in this one, but Reed's penalty on a, you know, on a drive that stalled out in large part due to the penalty that was a big piece of it. And like I said, just kind of struggled to get off of coverage the remainder of the day. Henry Pearson, negative 0.4 grade, just struggled as a blocker. Like there was three, I want to say three or four attempts where it just went poorly, did not go according to plan, did not get the job done. Still think there's some positive stuff there from Pearson, but this game was not, I think he only played nine snaps and ended up with a negative 0.4 grade. So that just kind of tells you how it goes, how it went for Henry Pearson in this one. And then John Running Jr., third lowest, negative 0.35 grade, I, I did not mind this game from JRJ at all. It wasn't his best stuff. Like I said, got beat by Chris Jones here and there. That's going to happen. But this was not your your throw John Running Jr. under the bus because he was terrible sort of game. Just wasn't great. Like the, the bigger issue here is that like this is one of his better games of the year and it was still a negative 0.35. So I'm not making excuses for him. I'm just saying in the scheme of things, this game wasn't all that bad, even though he was in the bottom three, just wasn't that many poor performances on offense this week. And if Reed mostly due to a false start, Pearson is like a nine snap fullback and John Runyon Jr. who mostly played well throughout the course of the game are your three lowest, you're mostly okay with that. So not anything egregious there. Some notable offensive performances. Romeo Dobbs plus 0.65, really nice day for him. Came up with obviously the huge catch on fourth and one, but had a nice day overall. Ben Sims plus 0.5, love the way that he's playing, blocking really well, comes up with a touchdown catch. Overall, really fun performance from him. Tucker Craft plus 0.05 grade, solid. That may not sound like much. This is his first, uh, like, you know, he's just playing more. Like he's, he's getting his first starts in the league. He's playing a ton more. They're putting a ton on his plate. He's having to block, catch, do everything, right? And for a rookie tight end, third round pick to come in, start a game and have a net positive rating. Trust me, trust me, trust me. That is a, that is a really good score for a rookie tight end making, I think is what second start in the league. Good stuff from Tucker Craft. Rashid Walker was plus 0.2. Yash Nyman was negative 0.2. Rashid's put some good games together. Like I said before, I'll say it again. It's time just to make that Rashid Walker's job. And then Sean Ryan, negative 0.15. Got beat really bad by Chris Jones on one play. Mostly looked okay outside of that one play. Top three defensive players, Keyshawn Nixon, plus 0.75. The big play, of course, the interception. Had a solid day outside of that. Would have been a slim... I don't know, but would have been a fine game without the interception, but obviously the interception puts it well over the top. LVN plus 0.6, his best game of probably his career so far. The big sack on Patrick Mahomes in the red zone. Also had a couple nice plays in run defense. Just attack things a lot more physically. 
there's still some times where he's just you know, he's so not ready to have a full pass rush plan. Like he's just going and like once he gets hands on him, like the other offensive lineman gets offensive hand like hands on him. It's just he doesn't know what to do sometimes. But you love the effort, you love the intensity, you love the energy. And you can see when he turns that corner and he's got a pathway to the quarterback, that explosion and that's that closing speed of the quarterback is super impressive. Like he closed from the getting around the bend to seeing Mahomes and getting to Mahomes like in an instant. So you love to see that. Kingsley Nigbari was freaking awesome. He just didn't play enough to get like a higher grade, but uh, he played enough, like enough to, you know, make an impact, but plus 0.55 grade loved what he did. He's playing with more strength and physicality, which you love to see. He was a little bit more finesse in 2022. He's got a great move set and he's putting things together. He's using a long arm and just bull rushing people. It was, it was an impressive game from Enigbari. And he's, he's put together some good games as of late. So top three on defense, Nixon, LVN, and Enigbari. My bottom three, Devondre Campbell. Um, Campbell just looks a step slower, at least. And it's a bummer because that all pro year was so enticing. He had some injury issues last year. He's had more injury issues this year. Maybe he's just not quite right yet. This was his first game back. They need Devondre on defense. They need him to be a pretty good player. He doesn't look as physical, doesn't look as fast, doesn't look as engaged. Something just seems a little bit off. And sometimes with an injury that can happen and hopefully he shakes it off and is, is good to go from here on out. No Taylor Swift reference intended there, but it just needs to be better from Devondre Campbell. I'll leave it at that. Jonathan Owens, negative 0.7. I know the big question was, well, did you downgrade him for that penalty? No, I did not. He was not downgraded for, for the uh, late hit or whatever you want to call it along the sidelines on Patrick Mahomes. I thought that was a great play by Jonathan Owens. So no, he was not downgraded on that. But I thought in coverage and just kind of getting to the ball, tackling, not Owens' greatest game. Anthony Johnson Jr., negative 0.4, third lowest grade. Same thing. There was a play where uh, Pacheco, as a run, like, Anthony Johnson Jr. took a really poor angle to it. A couple, he's the player that when Kelsey converted, I think it was on the third and eighteen, um, where he stepped up. Like on that specific play, he's got that deep zone in the center of the field, and Mahomes comes up to run. And I could understand if like he was the only thing between the first down and Mahomes or something like that. There are two players in front of Anthony Johnson Jr. that had, if Mahomes was going to run, they had it well under control. And even if they get by those two players, you're still going to get Mahomes before he picks up the 18 yards. So he had no reason to come up that aggressively and just abandon Kelsey in the middle of the field. So a little bit of a hang with them for Anthony Johnson Jr. there. So bottom three, Devondre Campbell, Jonathan Owens, and Anthony Johnson Jr. Some other notable defensive performances, Carrington Valentine had a negative 0.35 grade. And yes, he was downgraded for the pass interference play, even though there was no actual pass interference on the call. Um, you grade the process. 99 times out of 100, maybe 999 times out of 1,000, that's going to be called a pass interference. Like it or not, should have been. Now, we can you know, cancel it out with all the other things that the refs got wrong on that specific drive, but... If you're going to grade Carrington Valentine on that one, you've got to grade it as a negative. I don't see any other way you can get around that. So negative 0.35 for Carrington Valentine on the day. And yes, was downgraded for the PI. Darnell Savage plus 0.25. I know PFF had them uh, or had him as their number one graded overall defender. Liked this game from Savage a lot. Thought he was aggressive. There's a play where he's playing up in the line where he shoots into the backfield and makes a play. Had a pass breakup. 
good stuff from Darnell. Really great first game back. I didn't quite have him as like the top three defender level. And again, they had him number one, but I thought this was a really great first game back and an impressive performance overall from Darnell Savage, plus 0.25 grade. Uh, You can get the rest of the grades over at Packer Report uh, sometime on Wednesday. Not sure exactly what time they're going to be up quite yet. One other film study thing really quick. There was a play in this game that Kansas City ran that was successful twice against Green Bay uh, that Detroit ran. And what it is basically is that Detroit and KC in this game, they're finding times that it looks like Green Bay is like in a cover three. And I'd have to go back and look at all of them again, but it's the same similar concept where they're stacking two players. It's been the left side of the formation in all three times. Now, what's going on with the eye candy in the backfield and everything else on the field that's all totally different. Like they're, they're, they're disguising it well. This is the illusion of complexity where you're running the exact same concept, knowing that you want you know want one specific thing, but you might be doing a million different things elsewhere to get it, but you're still doing the same concept. And what this concept ultimately is, is they're stacking two receivers to the left side and they're running a nine route and they're running a deep out route right behind it. And it's like right behind it. So they're stacked up, they're going in the same vertical, and the first player is running off basically the defenders. And what's happening is they're running it sort of closer to the line of scrimmage. And if you're in cover three, right, you've got corner on his third, you've got safety in his third, and then you've got corner on his third on the other side. And they're running it right between the corner and the safety. And the way that it's run is if the corner doesn't go with them, the, that receiver could go to the corner and the safety is going to be out leveraged. And if he goes to the post and the safety's not there, the corner is going to be completely out leveraged. So like the corner and safety like inherently have to go with that player because otherwise the other player is going to be inherently screwed. So they're both going with. And then in the underneath in that, and Green Bay has been bringing five on these plays. So they got three underneath players. You've got, uh, you know, your little curl to the flat or excuse me, your your flat, you've got your curl, and then you've got your flat on the other side. So middle linebacker usually is playing the middle of the field. Then you've got usually a linebacker that's coming out and they're usually doing something in the backfield to take the attention to be like, hey, look at you got to go get that guy. And I think probably that that flat defender probably needs to gain depth and go out and and take the, the player on, you know, that's doing the deep out. But that's a tough ask of that too. And even if he does, now you're going to have usually a check down that could go for a long ways too. So Green Bay's got to clean up this play. Detroit ran it to Laporta for like a 20 some yard gain. Then they ran it to EQ or sorry, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown for like a 20 some yard gain. And then the Chiefs did it this week. They did a bunch of eye candy in the backfield, ran the same exact concept, deep nine route with Kelsey deep out right behind it, picked up, I think 22 yards on the play. So that's a play that's giving Green Bay trouble and they've got to find a way to fix that because otherwise teams are just going to keep running it over and over. It also would maybe make me believe that Green Bay has some sort of tell of when they're using that type of coverage because they ran it, the the two teams ran it three times and Green Bay was susceptible to it in all three occasions. So it's just something that's got to get cleaned up and something I noticed on tape. Might put a video together uh, if I have time on it sometime this week. So keep an eye out for that on Twitter if if I get a chance to do it. We'll see. All right, that does it. Uh, really quick shout out to our Hall of Fame and All Pro members: Most Hated Minnesotan, PJ Wynn, John Wild, Shea Bradad, Ronaldo Espinoza, Jennifer Wright, Boom Handle, Lori Lord, Donald Lee, Baby QB, and MBI Ten Twenty Three. I will be right back here tomorrow with all new episodes. If things go right, 
I am going to probably have a ton of episodes for you over the course of the next handful of days. Got some really fun stuff lined up, so keep an eye out for that. Of course, again, 365 days. Subscribe, like, comment, tell a friend, check out Packaday Podcast memberships. You know the deal. I'll see you tomorrow. Until next time, and as always, go Pack Go.